Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these Before You Quit podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and also your host for these podcasts. Uh, All right, I'm going to be talking to uh, Dr. Uh, Richard, uh, or Rick Kronk this morning. He serves as an associate uh, professor of intercultural ministries at Tocqueville Falls College. Uh, He has served with Muslims in France for 16 years and has also uh, worked in other places overseas and he is a dynamic uh, thinker. Uh, the book that he wrote is called Not Called and I had written an article or read an article in a magazine where he talked about this whole notion of, of calling, of uh, divine calling into ministry and really challenging that and he does it in a way that uh, I think really encourages and expands uh, opportunity for for service and uh, really reframing the idea of what uh, a calling is all about and uh, so it's fascinating uh, it was a fascinating book to read I read the whole book in just a week and managed to get a hold of Rick and sit down with him a few days ago to talk about uh, his book and this uh, this whole idea of calling so we're gonna go ahead and jump into that right now Okay, I have the privilege this morning uh, to be talking to Rick Kronk. Uh, good morning, Rick. Hey, good morning. We are, where are we located here? We are in uh, the campus of Tacoa Falls College in Tacoa Falls, Georgia. Yeah, and we're up in a little chalet that I know in the past has been used as a resident building and now it's offices, uh, beautiful scenery. Rainy and cold, so uh, we're, in, we're in a good warm place here. Uh, well, listen, it's, it's great having uh, this chance to talk to you about the book that you've written, and I shared with you, I read an article that you wrote in the Tacoma Falls Alumni Magazine, and it was compelling, and I reached out to you, read the book, and uh, just thought this is something worthy to, to sit down and talk about. But before we look at that, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and uh, I always like to ask people what, uh, what's, what are they most passionate about, what drives them, but let's get to know you for a few sure, minutes Sure, thanks, first. yeah, so my wife and I grew up in Michigan, or you go back that far, which has now been a few years. We're both Michigan State grads. We spent time as engineering professionals in Minnesota for a few years, and then we ended up in uh, ministry in France with uh, Christar, church planting, working among um, Muslim immigrants from North Africa into France kind of thing. Along the way, I um, got involved more and more with theological education, by extension, primarily, and then was writing courses for different programs throughout the Middle East. And came back to the States in 2013 and was involved in theological education in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And since 2017, 16, been here to go. Okay. And a couple of kids. You have two we children. We have two adult kids, both mm-hmm. married. One's in New York City, other than Austin, Texas. Grandkids? Not yet. Oh, you're, yet. You're, uh, you're looking forward to that wonderful season in life, I'm sure. I'm sure it will come. Yeah, I shared with you my, as soon as we're done here, I'm going down to hang out with my seven month old grandson. So. Uh, I'm going to keep this short for that reason. <laughs> no problem. What, what drives you? What uh, What are you most passionate about? Yeah, I think several things. One, um, the opportunity to point people to uh, fullness of knowing God, whether it's mm-hmm. as a new believer or as a, an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. What we spend time with Muslims across Europe and nothing like sitting across the table and having that person realize that Jesus is mm-hmm. the one who mm-hmm. came for them. 
Um, at the same time, those who spent maybe years in a Christian context, they're still kind of lost in what they're supposed to do with their lives, mm-hmm. helping them recognize that God has a plan for them and they can actually live that out in this context. So those yeah. things are, I get to do that as a, as, a, as a professor, as a friend, as a you know, mm-hmm. colleague, ministry colleague, one way that's been. That's yeah, been I, I love that. It's a, a really good setup for what we're going to talk about because you're, you know, evangelism and discipleship right. seem to be at the heart of what uh, what matters to you. And you teach here in the uh, in the intercultural or cross cultural. Yeah, we call department. it global ministries global now. Ministries. Intercultural studies, and this is my seventh year. I teach all things related to missions, I suppose mm-hmm. you could say, as well as some Bible and other things too. Uh, when you were working with Muslims, did you see a number of them turn to faith in, in Christ? We did. We mm-hmm. landed in France in '95, and uh, at that time, North Africa, in particular Algeria, was going through quite a identity crisis. Mm-hmm. As a result, there was arguably a movement of people from Islam to Christ, not because of us, but we just mm-hmm. in the wake yeah. of that happening. Yeah. So, wow. have to be at the right place. At the yeah, right we saw time. numbers. Moving from Islam to Christ, yeah, for sure. yeah, we find that it's the displaced ones that sometimes are, are most open. Indeed, uh, I, I've heard that the opposite can be true too. They're entrenched in their culture, and uh, that can also make them hard. And right, they're definitely on the move, and they're trying to find an identity. Yeah, and Islam has disappointed them. They're open to other things often. Yeah, if not, they re-entrench. Or okay, they, well, that that's a great other conversation we can have at, <laughs> at some point. Uh, okay, so you, you wrote a book called Not Called, and I'd like to know why you wrote the book. Sure. I, I've been interacting with this idea of calling most of my adult life. I mean, from my early days in college where I felt like God is moving me into a place of ministry, then on into ministry overseas as a missionary mm-hmm. colleague, and then as a missionary leader, field leader, and now finally as an educator. The issue of what has God called me to has circulated in my mind and, and come up in conversation over and over and over again. And as I interacted with that personally and with others, I just felt increasingly what we say about calling and what the Bible says about calling are just not saying mm-hmm. the same thing. And yet it's so entrenched in how we understand people suited for ministry. We always jump through that hoop of what is your calling when yeah. you're called to. And that, that, as I looked at it more closely, just did not have a similar biblical framework for it. Mm-hmm. So I said, so where's this coming from? How do we interact with it? What are you going to do about it? That was my question. Was there anything specifically that made you restless with that, uh, that idea, that notion of calling? I think as a mission leader, I was in a place of directing those who were coming to me as ministry colleagues, missionaries, if you will. And some were clearly suited for the work, mm-hmm. and some were clearly not. And yet they all spoke of having a calling. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, that's, I'm sure that's fully possible, but what does that calling look like? Is it mm. somehow validated in their experience or is it not? And then if we had to relocate someone out of that ministry, do I somehow become a surrogate God speaking for a new calling to their personal life? How do you understand the directive nature of calling mm-hmm. if it means a change in the ministry role, et cetera? And what about those who, for whom... I have a good friend who he and his wife were on track to join us in ministry. And then almost at the point of takeoff to the, to the ministry context, the wife said, I'm not going. I don't feel called. I don't feel called. Wow. And then they've lived the last 40 years of their marriage with that unresolved issue in their life. Wow. Yeah. And as I came across one part of the book, um, that was also the case of A.B. Simpson and his wife, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. He was called to China. She's like, I'm not going. And so yeah. how do you resolve that calledness or not calledness in the context of a marriage? Wow. Yeah. And so those kind of questions just 
unsettled me. I mean, yeah. really, and I thought, I've got to try to figure this out. Someday. Yeah, and uh, where we're heading with this is, and you do this in the book, uh, reimagining what that right. should look like. Right. And, sure. Uh, but uh, we, we need to have some other conversation in order to get there. Um, so there's an assumption about calling that comes from somewhere, right? And we'll talk about that. There's a, there's a reason why, uh, as a, a Christian culture, we, we've latched onto it and just assumed it. And you're, you're the first one I've bumped into who's challenging that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in short, how, would you, how, how is calling defined today, whether... You agree with it or not? Just as as a collective body, how do we how sure. would we define Paul? Part of the answer to that question is that there's not one settled definition mm-hmm. of what it means. It's largely the idea that somehow there's this sense of I need to do this thing on the religious side for God. So it's a sense of religious duty or obligation that has been given to me in some spiritual way. Could be related to my gifting or a certain burden for something or context that I need to respond to. But it has jumped the rails into secular world as well, where it's no longer a spiritual obligation, but a, a, a secular giving back to mm-hmm. the world type of thing. So it no longer has a strictly religious Not just with Christians, you're no, saying exactly. even with unbelievers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. become part of pretty prominent business school culture in terms of executive uh, operation in major mm-hmm. companies. What are they called to as leaders? And yeah, so it's kind of redefining use, how we do. They things. use different language, maybe than we do. Uh, not so much. Really? They actually call well, it calling. They use the word yeah, calling. absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You actually define it in the book as the inner persuasion or experience whereby a person feels himself directly summoned or invited by God to take up the work of the ministry. And uh, we'll talk about this where you really ask the question, does that line up with the right, Bible? Sure. Uh, again, this didn't happen haphazardly. There's, there's a, a long history, and you, you portray this wonderfully in the book. So trace, um, you know, as, as well as you can, uh, if you remember your own book. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, where did it start? How did we get here in our uh, understanding of calling? I think arguably you could say that the understanding of calling that we think we understand in the Western context really is a Western tradition that's been handed down from centuries. It probably takes root in its most explicit way in the Catholic understanding of vocation from the Catholic clergy, laity divide from really the Middle Ages, where if you were called or if you were a priest, you were called. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a priest in the priestly function, you were not called. So it's a really clear divide between laity and clergy over that issue of calling or vocation, as they use the term, vocatio in the Latin. Mm-hmm. That gets challenged when the Protestant Reformation takes off by guys like Luther and Calvin. And it's Calvin, really, who puts words to the idea of calling is no longer a church-derived reality. It's now an individual between you and God. Mm-hmm. And Calvin really gives the words that God calls someone to the work of ministry. So it brought the laity into the It's a specific directive, no longer the church directive. It's mm-hmm. now a God and the individual kind of a directive thing, which is partly with the break of the... Reformation was, it's no longer church-derived reality, sure. it's now it's individual reality. Yeah. So that kind of, it kind of fits that new narrative. And Calvin's when it gives words to what we talk about today. Mm-hmm. We use almost the same language mm-hmm. that Calvin used in the 1500s to talk about what calling is for us today. What Calvin was doing is responding to the, the, the Catholic understanding of spirituality, Christianity, and biblical understanding mm-hmm. as well. But Calvin did not go as far as recognize that he was really just still limiting calling to 
men in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. There really was no parachurch to speak of at the time, and women were not part of that world either. So without saying, he's still saying that calling is male church ministry, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And Luther's experience, too, did not help, if we can sure, sure. couch it that way. He sure. was struck by lightning and responded immediately that he exactly. would go exactly. into, into right. full-time ministry. Exactly. Uh, so you have our heroes of the faith who, um, you know, Calvin taught it, Luther experienced exactly. it. Exactly, right. And, exactly. and when we see those models, we again, that brings about an assumption, sure. doesn't it? Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so after the Reformation, how did it develop and continue to Yeah, calling, influence? The, calling um, really is driven from that time forward, really with the, the development of society itself. Mm-hmm. And society begins moving away from um, sort of rural and or artisanal sort of economic models to mm-hmm. society, urban business models move away from um, fealty to lords and, and manners to now nation states and econo- economies that are bigger. So the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution yeah. really what kind of redefines how society functions. And with that came the idea of uh, options and um, social mobility mm-hmm. for those who could tap into that new economic model. So if you were socially mobile, all of a sudden you had options regarding your future career. And the question is, well, what then should I do Oh, perhaps God is moving me, calling me to a certain social, religious function. But that didn't really exist prior to that, because if mm-hmm. your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. Mm-hmm. Your dad mm-hmm. was a bricklayer. You were, there was no social mobility, so there was no sense of calling out of that anyway. Yeah. So this becomes really a part of the social structure at post-Industrial Revolution for, again, Western society primarily. Yeah. My, my grandfather, who grew up in Belgium, lived in Belgium, died in Belgium. My mom grew up, of course, there. Uh, he was a coal miner, but his his dad wanted him to be a pastor because mm. there was money there. <laughs> so that was the motivation, not a calling. But I think he didn't do it because he didn't feel called to it. Oh, there you go. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if that wasn't part of the equation, maybe he would have done it for, uh, you know, for the uh, financial reasons. Yeah, perhaps, so, perhaps, yeah, perhaps, yeah. yeah. You, you spent a lot of time talking about uh, how women entered uh, into this this uh, idea of calling, and it, it seemed to come around parachurch organizations right, sure. coming into existence. So talk, sure. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, probably nothing has marked Western civilization more than the the rise of women in society, I suppose you put it that way, from mm-hmm. childbearing and uh, homekeeping to now professional at every level. And as you track women's development societally, historically, you see progressive opening into women in ministry. And then finally, this question about are women called becomes part of the conversation even most recently in certain denominations. Mm -hmm. Some say no, because they're women, therefore they're not. Some say they're not sure, and some say they definitely are, and therefore they are. And so uh, if you look at the denominations that have women in ministry, uh, in in professional pastoral roles, they're going to claim that women are equally called as men are. But that really tracks almost one for one the development society allows women to move outside of the home into a professional mm-hmm. context. It's almost date for yeah, date watching yeah. that development. So again, it's not a theological push initially, it's a silent push which caused them to reinterpret scripture, I think, really how they make way for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of fascinating on the sort of conservative evangelical context in which women are not given pastoral roles. 
there's been a growth of a sort of a secondary ministry option right. for these women into powerful parachurch ministry roles. And so people, um, I can't get their names off the top of my head, but have prominent ministries that are not pastoral mm-hmm. officially, but are certainly ministerially, it would not be coded a lot to women in other contexts. So it's yeah. how that's grown up parallel to the church. Yeah, okay, that's fascinating. Um, I'm kind of inserting this question, maybe should have started with this. Why, why is this conversation so important to you? Yeah, I think for two reasons. One, um, we continue, we, the church, collectively, continue to refer to calling as sort of prerequisite for ministry. Mm-hmm. And what that does is, for those who articulate a calling, it validates that that's where they should go. But also provides an excuse for those who are, don't feel called to opt out of mm-hmm. things that I think are biblically... Where it would have been logical for them yeah, to, to right. enter into you know, service. Because of my missionary context, um, this issue of calling to missionary service is a big one that mm-hmm. we talk about. But for those who don't feel called, they can clearly say, well, I don't need to be concerned about missions because I'm clearly not called. So yeah. that's a way out of what I think is a biblical mandate. So an, illeg- an illegitimate option out for what I think is part of the story. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's really fascinating. Uh, let, so was there, uh, when you began to feel restless and revisiting this, you went to the scripture. What was your approach? Did you just start from the beginning to the end and just see what the Bible said about calling, how it was experienced, what the examples were there? Well, because I've been thinking about this for the last 40 years, I'd already yeah, been yeah. kind of pre-processing this stuff along the way. I had, uh, for me, uh, the, the, the conversation has to be both historical as well as biblical. So pulling historical resources together as well as Old Testament, New Testament. There's a, there's a theological development, I think, that I just had to respect that. So what does the Old Testament say about calling? How does it play that out there? And then what does the New Testament say about it? How do we get to where we are today? So it was a combination of history and biblical conversation with myself. Really okay, so give us an overview, Old Testament, New Testament. What does it say about calling, or what does it not say about Right, calling? so calling itself biblically has really sort of four main uh, meanings or understandings. Mm-hmm. There is clearly a calling into existence. God called mm-hmm. something and it became. That's one. Yeah. Secondly, like God names things. I'll call my servant mm-hmm. Joshua. Mm-hmm. Naming. Thirdly, is this calling to salvation. God calls his people to salvation. Jesus calls us to salvation. That's mm-hmm. clearly part of the calling. Most of calling is in those three realms. Mm. It's calling to name, calling to existence, calling to, a, to, to salvation. It's what dominates the biblical understanding. There mm-hmm. is, a, however, a handful of cases where God seems to relate calling to occupation or role. But those are uh, in the vast minority of everything else. Well, then those four you know, pictures of calling, the Bible talks about it. In the Old Testament side, it's largely calling people to himself mm-hmm. in salvation. He called Abraham. He called his people back to himself and calling into existence kind of thing. So the Old Testament understanding is calling is relationship with God. That's the dominant idea in the Old Testament idea. These are my people. Mm-hmm. I've called them by my name. I love them. I, they, they serve me. And that's the relationship. Calling is identity with God and that kind of people mm-hmm. of God kind of idea. Yeah, and I think uh, when pastors preach on this, they'll talk about Samuel being called by God or all the prophets being called by God. 
Um, later, we'll, we'll touch on this when we wrap up, but you, you distinguish that from guidance. Give, give us a quick hint of what, how you distinguish those two things. Yeah, the sort of the long answer, short answer to the long question is uh, calling when it refers to, or when it's referred to as a role or occupational ministry assignment is a sort of a one-time moment where God intervenes in space and time and mm -hmm. does some kind of radical self-declaration and, and disclosure to the person that redefines their entire existence. It's mm -hmm. Moses of the burning bush, it's Abraham leave the country, it's you know, Daniel Lyons, then that kind of mm -hmm. unmistakable, God intervenes, this is gonna define your life for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. that kind of idea. It's an encounter. It's an encounter, mm -hmm. it's a one-time thing, you look back and that's what mm -hmm. happened to me. Uh, the idea of God leading us is, a, is an ongoing, day after day, walk with Jesus. It's the Psalm 23, I'm the good shepherd, you're my sheep, walk with me. Mm, kind of idea. Mm. Which is what is promised over and over and over again in Scripture. That's what is promised. Yeah. Calling is not promised in that mm -hmm. sense. Mm. But walking with me is promised. Yeah, and that's the guidance part. And that's, exactly. that's the heart of the Great Commission as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. As you go, right. this is what you're to do. Exactly. Okay. Um, let me, as the Apostle Paul, what, what did he say about calling? Yeah, so Paul really spends a lot of time talking about calling as salvation. Mm. Uh, in fact, most of his Romans argument in First Corinthians are about you are called to salvation. God is called to salvation. What's remarkably absent in Paul's conversation about calling is he does not talk about calling when he talks about serving in the mm. church. Mm. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. He talks about character for elders and, and deacons, mm. but he never references calling in that yeah. passage. Yeah. Character, et cetera, et cetera, but never talks about calling. Yeah, when I mean, Paul, he says things like if someone aspires to be an elder, he pursues a noble thing. Sure, but that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's interest, gifting, that, yeah, affirmation that's, from yeah, others. That, yeah, that's, yeah a, that's, that's a stretch to say that's yeah, calling, right, 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 sure. Right. When he's got his, uh, ministry, his ministry, ministry, missionary enterprises, he takes the three or four missionary journeys, then already slices those things. Mm -hmm. Again, those he brings with him on these journeys or not, he never references calling in terms of you should be here because you're called or not. Mm -hmm. Even his you know, follower John Mark, it's not about a calling issue. That's never part of the conversation. It just yeah. doesn't come up. And, and on, the, on the Jesus side as well, and Jesus talks about the Great Commission in multiple places, he never says, if you go and make disciples yeah. if you feel called. Yeah. It's just not yeah. in that conversation anywhere. Yeah. And so we've added that because really of Calvin. Yeah. Added that as the prerogative. Thank you, ministry. Calvin. Yeah. So not needing to throw them on the bus, but we need, we need to we need to have tulip as tulips and, and have an S stand for something here. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so um, I'm gonna put out four or five different scenarios okay. that I think people sure. will really relate to and just get your reaction sure. to maybe all of them together as a as a lump or pick it pick at it individually uh, when I entered into ministry um, I was uh, interviewed for accreditation mm -hmm. li licensing and then ordination and it was really important that I had a, a calling story sure. okay sure. and so I, I kind of felt like I had to make one up okay mm -hmm. uh, and then Parallel to that, my when my wife and I were dating, and we seemed that you know really interested in each other. She actually broke up with me mm -hmm. because she had to know whether she was also called to be a missionary. Okay, so there's that, and 
fortunately, she ended up being called to, to ministry. Sure. Um, another story, a young man came to me one time, and during a service, he had gone forward and committed his life to become a missionary. And later, he, as he evaluated everything, he's like, no, that's not what I'm supposed to do. But he felt really guilty about that sure. because he had sure. made this promise to God and almost a vow to God, and he was breaking that vow, okay? And then there's a, a, a church I was attending, or actually we were just visiting, it was our home, my wife's home church, and they had about 30 teenagers in the front. They were going to pray for them. The pastor was praying for them to send them to a big conference that the, the young people were going to go to. And during his prayer, he said almost word for word, he said, Lord, who knows, maybe you might call some of them to be pastors and missionaries. So right away, he placed uh, the calling as kind of an elite sure, special sure. thing, which yeah. made me wonder how everybody else would have felt when sure. they came back sure. and they didn't you know, have that uh, unique thing happen to them. Um, so what's your reaction? Yeah, sure. To so all to your first, very practical. To your first story, exactly <laughs> right. Uh, there's an expectation that if I'm going to be in ministry, it's because I'm called to be there. Mm -hmm. And so when asked to, you know, talk about your fit for this role, we need to, as understanding, we need to come up with a, this is definitive calling reality for us. Mm -hmm. Because that's the narrative that's expected. What's fascinating in the research is if you track different denominational understandings of calling and track their candidates for ministry, they will produce what is expected of them in their calling story. Mm -hmm. so they're adapting the story to what's expected of them. Because it's such a fluid, sort of mystical thing anyway. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's fascinating is there's virtually no way to validate a person's yeah, calling yeah, story. Yeah. I think uh, when I read through the issue of uh, Joan of Arc, she's sort of the classic case. Here mm -hmm. she was arguably put into a context that was the unimaginable. She's a young, unmarried woman mm -hmm. leading an army against the British on behalf of the French. Mm -hmm. And she wins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she tells him, it's because I've had these angelic visitations that I'm called to do this. <laughs> wow. She gets yeah. taken into custody and mm -hmm. interrogated for over two years mm -hmm. by a, a slew of theologians. Mm -hmm. In the end, they can't tell if she's called or not. Like, yeah. Clearly, if they couldn't figure it out over several years of interrogation, yeah. how could a church committee mm -hmm. in one afternoon decide if you were called or not? The, 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 the mystical validation is impossible. Yeah, you're almost, if you say no to a candidate, you're, on, you're arguing with God. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yet it's such an expectation to do so that mm -hmm. we could not, in one sense, imagine that being possible without that calling. Yeah, yeah. So. and it's often an emotional response sure. to, sure. Uh, you know, to a call. Right. You know, generally in, in some kind of event or, or a large meeting. Um, Let me just say one thing. Yeah. I am not saying that God does not call in a supernatural way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to suggest that someone's experience of God intervening in their life is somehow not real. Mm -hmm. I believe God calls people for specific mm -hmm. roles. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that one bit. And I'm not going to call into question your experience if you think God did that for mm -hmm. you. Praise God, go for it. All I'm saying is that there's not a biblical mandate that it be that way for all of us. Yeah. And that if we hinge our obedience on a call, 
or misunderstanding the Bible with regard to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And you're really opening this up for the church to obey the Great Commission uh, by really informing us that we're all called, the church is called, and, and God gifts, God gives talents, abilities, resources, and um, I, I think you mentioned this in the book, uh, you know, Keith Green's famous song oh, right, sure. about uh, we're all called, the exception is to stay, you know, right, we're all, exactly. how, how does that fit into this? Was he right? In, well, I, I mean, I think from the, the way it's described, certainly in the New Testament, that when you come into faith in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, Jesus says, has an obligation to go. So it's not like, it's not a secondary equipping, per se, for those who are obligated to go. It's mm -hmm. if you are in Christ, you're on the team. The mm -hmm. only question is where and how, yeah. not if. Yeah, and that's where the guidance comes exactly. in. Exactly. Right. Guidance right. leads us to where and how. And yeah. I say go as far as you can go with all that mm -hmm. God's given you. And who you are, where you're at, and that's where you follow the shepherd. That's yeah, where you go. yeah, and it's very practical, which makes it less mystical, right? Absolutely. If, you're, Absolutely. if you've got abilities and resources, then hey, it's logical that you exactly you go. Exactly. And we do know that providentially, God will use circumstances to close those doors, you know. And sure. it might be by just having someone else say no, and then we can take that as God's leading sure. or guidance, not not to go in that direction. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it, it was it was interesting uh, how you sort of bring together the idea of work and, and calling. You know, ordinary work, secular vocation, can still be it is a, as high value as ministry. I think you're seeking to do that too, right? In in your book. Yeah, the, the conversation of, of vocation and calling, or work and calling has a long and storied career that goes way beyond biblical sort of parameters, mm -hmm. even today. There's all sorts of conversation about that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of sort of, I think, sloppiness in the terminology and assumptions of understandings that are real often not helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, a vocation and not a vocation, again, is rooted in Catholic medieval theology. It has been sort of transported to a new reality, so that even today we talk about vocation, not vocation, but it's kind of flipped. Whereas vocation used to be the high priestly service, now vocational ministry or vocational is, you know, the trade school. It's mm -hmm. kind of it's mm -hmm. flopped upside down mm -hmm. in society yeah, yeah. the way it's taken. And the idea of vocation or not vocation is, uh, if you're, in this case, in a professional sense, vocations are limited to those who serve either the greater good, like doctors, teachers, mm -hmm. missionaries, and those who don't serve those have an avocation, a non-vocation, like uh, plumbers and policemen kind of idea almost. So it's, it has an interesting uh, application to sort of contemporary Western society uh, that are, again, it's an evolutionary story, not a biblical story, I don't mm -hmm. think. Yeah. yeah, before we get to what, how you'd like to reimagine this, uh, you, you talked about how we've marginalized uh, some people because of this, uh, this high calling idea. Uh, and let me quote what you write here. One obvious example is the relative absence of men and women with physical and or emotional disabilities from public ministry roles, despite, despite the increased focus on ministry to these groups of people over the last uh, several decades. Expound on that. Yeah, we have identi identified again calling as a prerequisite for ministry, pastoral ministry, missionary ministry. Mm -hmm. And with that, we've also sort of without explicitly saying so, 
identify what that what that means for them. They need to be, you know, the, the appropriate kind of person in that context. Mm-hmm. And so we have, as I said, lots of ministry to the disabled, but not ministry by the disabled yeah, for yeah. non-disabled communities. It's kind of remarkable that mm. should they not also be equally called if that's the reality? Mm-hmm. But the reality is that they're not because there is a protocol that says those of that kind of disablement or disability are not really fit for calling. So yeah. we've kind of reimagined what even calling is and excluding yeah. some others. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a, de- a depth, um, what's the word I'm trying to think? It's a negative. Yeah, uh, sure. yeah I mean, I, I know historically our denomination, uh, if you were, had a disability, sure. you had to get an exception. You right. know, I think right. of Bill Cutts, I don't know if you know him, he was a famous missionary in, in Papua. Uh, had had been born with a lot of disabilities. He had one of the most vibrant ministries sure. to people, you know, because here's this broken vessel who was being used by God to really drew people to to him. So yeah, I love that. Okay, um, let's go there. How do you want to reimagine the whole idea of calling? Well, let's let's validate calling for what it really is. First of all, the dominant use biblically of calling is called to salvation. Mm-hmm. called into identity, relationship with God. And with that comes all these other rights and obligations of us as believers. So that's one thing. We are in Christ, and because of that, we have obligations mm-hmm. to the world to serve the world with the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus 101. That's one thing. Secondly, calling is possible. God can step out of heaven and, and redirect someone's life. When he does so, it is... Biblically speaking, it's an unmistakable, once-in-a-lifetime, life-changing ordeal that you will never forget. It's not, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, there's no sense of feeling with that kind of call. Yeah, Jesus showed up at the foot of my bed in the middle of the it's, night. It's, it's, and, it's yeah. you'll never forget, un, mm-hmm. un, it's indelible, never-ending kind of thing. That does happen, that can happen. Mm-hmm. But that should not be the prerequisite for me going into ministry or not mm-hmm. going into ministry. There's no sense of, that's the common, or that's the normal, that's the standard. It's an exceptional dynamic spiritual encounter and if God does that go for it be a Jonah go all the way don't stop Mm -hmm. but that should not be the measure by which we say that one is or is not suited for ministry Mm -hmm. calling is primarily to Jesus everything else is following the shepherd as he wants us yeah Yeah. obedience to him you work in a in a college setting with global ministries does this generation see it differently you think or are they just inheriting what we're giving Yeah, they are inheriting what we're giving them. As <laughs> yeah. I did some research on college campuses, almost 80% of students in a ministry-related major talk about calling is what defined mm-hmm. their, their major pursuit. And yet, uh, if you go to a completely secular campus, it's 40%. 40% yeah. say the same thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. non-Christian students in the same way. So the idea of calling, which defines or helps us sort out what we're supposed to do with life, is a common, prominent way of throwing out life. Because mm-hmm. life has got so many options, and we're socially mobile, and we have possibilities. How do we decide? Well, calling is one way to figure that out. And yeah. if you're a Christian student, the average age for figuring out is like 16.2 years mm-hmm. old. It's while you're a junior in high school, mm-hmm. thinking about college, I got this calling experience, it must be that. Yeah. And that's almost self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. So, so rather than, than a young person saying, am I called, what other questions should they be asking? Yeah. Who am I as a person? Mm-hmm. What skills, opportunities, mm-hmm. interest has God given me? That legitimately so. What opportunities and needs are there in the world that I need to pursue? And you need to have some knowledge of the world to know what that, that looks like. You can't, in one sense, be led to something you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. So 
Be informed. Be educated. And I'd say go as far as you can go in terms of what you understand God is saying to you, what you can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. We have a third of the world that's still unreached. We've got to find a way to reach that world. Mm-hmm. We can't wait for those who think they're called there. We've got to mobilize and equip and send mm-hmm. to make that happen now. Mm-hmm. And I also say that this calling issue is largely a Western construct. Yeah. You look at others from other parts of the world, they're not having that same conversation that we have, even unless, of course, we gave that to them and mm-hmm. gave them the virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really a Western, yeah. post-industrial, enlightenment kind of context that we're fighting for in the, in the West. So you're, you're stirring the pot here, ruffling feathers. I mean, you're, you're challenging something that's been assumed for, for centuries. Are you getting pushback? Um, and, and what is the reaction? What, what is this doing to people that are hearing yeah, this? Yeah, I'm finding a lot of people like yourself who thought, I was in the back of my mind, and now yeah. someone's articulated what I was yeah, thinking yeah, a yeah. long time. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, well, yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the handicap I think is getting a, a, a large enough read that people are actually having a chance to encounter what that mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Yeah. But when it comes to sort of organizational and denominational feedback, uh, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow because we've built this structure and this way of thinking for so long mm-hmm. that it's hard to talk about it without it. You know, as I encounter people, they say, well, you mean that, I mean that. It's, it's not really a semantic question. Mm-hmm. It really is a biblical terminology question, which we've assumed a bunch of meaning in the calling, which just isn't there biblically. Yeah. So we have to have a, a new way of talking about it, which is going to require some, you know, deep thinking. Well, it, it's interesting. I won't name the name, but the the guy who wrote the foreword to the book is is in, in a position responsible for right. missionaries being deployed. Right. right. Uh, so you must have had some real impact in in having this conversation with him for him to sign off on right. that idea. Yeah. And we're having a conversation on campus in the spring about this at the faculty level too, because mm-hmm. our students are asking these questions, and we're you know, sending them off with these expectations. Yet, yeah, we may be actually not maybe sending off in the right, in the right way. So, yeah, so it's encouraging some people. Yeah, as well, definitely and so. Probably more so. Definitely I think. so. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, in my case, I was called quote unquote to be a missionary. Ten years in, we were called out because of right. you know severe sure. medical sure. Uh, needs in our family. So that, that honestly, that's where I started to mm-hmm. to rethink this. In fact, I, I do a talk when I, I've gone overseas to speak at missionary retreats. I talk about the different questions I'm asking now than I was asking 35 years ago. Sure. And the questions I'm asking now have more to do with obedience and, mm-hmm. and uh, holiness and service and, and being available, even, even being bored and inactive <laughs> has, sure. has been something I'm more comfortable with in this season in life. Sure. Uh, because if I, if I was driven by this idea of calling or I had to, to obey this promise, this vow I made to God, um, as I get older and, and maybe someone else is less active, less able to do as much as they did early on, um, it, it creates guilt and, and restlessness. Sure. And exactly. so I think this helps to realign that a little bit better where people later in season in life when they look back and there, there might be a sense of failure Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Let, lets them be you know God's sovereign he's he's got a hold of my life I belong to him sure. he's called me to himself he's given me a name he's called me to serve him where I am and uh, you know bless his holy name any any final thoughts I just, have, I, just do, I spoke on this before the book came out last, last uh, February on campus and a student came afterwards and he said Dr. Krog, um, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm a third generation missionary kid from Africa. 
and all my family's there, all my siblings are there, it's part of my whole world. Talk story. about assumptions. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I have been just can I break this cycle <laughs> beside myself yeah. with the fact that I feel like I need to go back to Africa, but I have, I have no sense of calling. Yeah. And he said, hearing what you had to say, set wow. me free. Wow, set I love that. Free. I love that. And I can follow Jesus all the way in Africa mm-hmm. without having to look for this mystical experience. Yeah. Yeah. Or stay and not feel like right, he's exactly. being disobedient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wonderful. Free. So I love that. I love that. God. Hey, this has been one of the most exciting podcasts I've done and I've done some really interesting well, thanks very much. thank you this thanks is wonderful much. and we'll put um, the link for the book on the website absolutely yeah, and sure. uh, your information as well so thank you Rick. Thank really appreciate, appreciate this thank you well there you have it thank you so much for listening to this episode of the before you quit podcast if you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today or on any other podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Mm -hmm.